Hello and welcome to the Creativity Conference's official podcast. My name is Aidan Rode. I am the Assistant Manager at the Creativity Conference. In the podcast, I will be discussing all aspects of creativity with some world-class creative minds who we are lucky enough to be joined as speakers for the Creativity Conference. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Blake-Thomas, who is a filmmaker, author, philanthropist, and storyteller, and has founded and runs Mother and Daughter Entertainment in LA and has done for the past three and a half years. Elizabeth, how are you doing? I'm good, but I'm very excited to meet these amazing people you're going to be having on your podcast. (laughs) Who's that going to be? Oh, me. Yes, well, we had Mark Simon on last time, and that was fantastic. And then obviously Maxim to kick things off, and plenty more to come. So yes, well, keep your eyes peeled. Well, let's hope I can set the tone then. Mm. You delivered a fantastic presentation for us back in August for the Creativity Conference's online iteration. Uh, how did you find the conference? Were you, did you attend any other sessions? Did you get to check out any other talks? Well, first of all, it was an excellent job, considering we could all not meet up in person, which was obviously highly disappointing and all the work that you guys put in before that. So yes, having it like this was a totally different ball game, but actually also in one way, as you said, we were then able to watch them all. We all got sent the link afterwards and we could watch as many times as we wanted in all the sessions. So there are benefits to the way you know, the world changed for these last couple of years. It was excellent. I mean, I feel very honored to be part of it. And I like the concept of creativity. So it's right up my street. And you are potentially going to join us in Iceland 2022, all things going well. I Um, am indeed. I am. I have said yes. I'm very excited about that. I think it will be a very powerful meeting. What in particular, I assume Maxim gave you the full pitch, what in particular excited you about Iceland? Well, I have to say I've never been. So that was one of the first things. Uh, The second is I like the fact it's in the summer because I believe you get a totally different experience then. And also, yes. I'm very excited to meet with the people or a variety of people that are, have got the same, you know, kind of aim, goals, beliefs as me. Yes. So I, I have been to Iceland in both winter and summer, and I can tell you right now, it's much more pleasant in the summer <laughs> months. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, because you can tell, look, I'm in LA, but I'm dressed in my winter clothes because it's so cold. I'm not a cold person. I need the sun. So I've got five layers on. So I look like an Eskimo. Yeah, yeah. Iceland's not renowned for its uh, its weather. Um, on, a, on a different note, what does creativity as a concept mean to you as someone in the creative industry? It's a very interesting question because... I know that it means so many different things to people. For me, it's a practical concept. So I feel very honored that I get to wake up and be creative every day. And so what I mean by that is I get to wake up and think about where am I going? What am I doing? Who am I seeing? What am I writing? What crazy ideas am I going to come up with? And that's the life I live. In fact, my life is the creativity conference. It's constant creativity, even from writing in my my schedule. You know, I have pen to paper. Um, Everything I do from the minute I wake up has got a creative element to it, which means that my brain gets to use both sides consistently all day long with everything that I do. 
So what are some particularly creative projects that you're currently working on, uh, sort of uh, such as Medicine with Words or your entertainment company? So th there are kind of two schools of thought here with my creativity, because there's my creativity where I've been asked to do something. And then there's my creativity, which I call uh, feeding my soul. So the creativity that I've been asked to do at the moment is that I'm exec producing a feature film. I am co-producing another one. I am first ADing a film. I'm writing a couple of scripts for people. Um, and all of that is wonderful. But my own creative soul is working on five projects that are a kind of a correlation between my medicine with words, which is my storytelling and healing, and my production company. Because I really do believe that everything I put my soul into has to be something good that I'm putting into the world. So those are five projects. One is a, a project called The Lost Angel, and it's a TV series. Uh, number two and three are two shorts. One is called The Last Cigarette, and the other one is called The Uninvited Guest, both true stories. And then the last two are feature films, again, both true stories inspired by true events, called, uh, one is called The Girl with the Crooked Smile, and the other one is called It Could Have Been Worse. And by the way, it couldn't have been worse. That's the pun. Uh, so those are my soul-filling projects. And then I'm constantly running my, my sessions with people, either individually or as corporate retreats for people at the moment, utilizing that storytelling, which is a lot of the time where I get these amazing stories from. People tell me their stories. We're rewriting their stories. And... Um, it's, it's yoga for the mind. And so I do that for myself every day. I run my own sessions for myself every day. One of the projects that I think you've done recently is that you created a film over lockdown during the COVID pandemic. What were some particular challenges associated with that project that you didn't necessarily think about when you were first initially conceptualizing it? So um, the I'd actually I've worked and done five films over the pandemic over two years I've done that's five impressive, films. Um, and all of them actually were created based on I know I'm going to shoot them in the pandemic. The first one was called originally Will You Be My Quarantine, and it's called Just Swipe. So I specifically came up with the concept knowing that I could shoot it in this way, which is with uh, individuals as closely as they can be via Zoom, um, physically not in the same space unless it's the beginning of the film or the end of the film, as small a crew as possible, one location. So I then have based every other film that I've shot during COVID on that same premise because it worked very well. And the biggest thing that you had to factor in was the COVID costs because of huge costs associated with the testing, the, the way we have to do meals now, the spacing of people, the smaller amount of crews. But I have to say in another way, it's also given this wonderful freedom of just blame COVID. I can't do that, it's COVID. I can't do that, it's COVID. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so you've worked on a lot of projects throughout your whole career, not just in the last few months. Are there any in particular sort of lesser known about or underappreciated projects that you sort of have a, a soft spot for, or you're particularly proud of and wish that more people knew about? It's a good question as well. Um, well, actually, I'll give you the example. I just had lunch with someone today and he said to me, he said, which project of yours should I watch first? And I said, well, actually, you need to start at the beginning, which is my book. 
You need to read Filmmaking Without Fear because when you read the book, you, it tells you about every film and how they were made and what, in, what, they were, what was involved. And then also there's my podcast. So you can listen to my podcast as well, and that gives you huge insights and follow along and find which film I'm talking about. And I also made a featurette, which was about myself talking about those movies. So to me, it's about every single one I've loved, but every single one has given me something different and taught me something new. But if you have the book and the podcast, you can hear what went into those. Because I always say, you know, someone can be given $50 million and make a movie. It's really not difficult. Give somebody 50000 and they have to make a movie, they're skilled, they've got talent there, they're coming up with something creative, they're working with a team. So I'm very fond of every single one of my projects. There's not one that sticks out more than the other because every single one, well, I made this during COVID or I made this with a tiny budget or I made this only in one location or I made this with a 94 year old lady. In fact, Evie Rose, which is the one with the 94 year old nominated uh, Oscar actress uh, Terry Moore I'm very proud of but again there were lots of things that went into that she had to lie in bed she'd broken three ribs she couldn't move let's rewrite the script do you still want to do it yes she says okay then you know all of these added elements and that's that's the enjoyment part for me something different you also work with your daughter um, as part of mother and daughter entertainment and uh, your daughter, who's the same age as me, but is incredibly accomplished in her own right as this uh, actress in the film industry. Um, what are the day-to-day realities of working with not just family, but with your own daughter? She's really the same age as you. She's 19. Gosh. Well, she's, up, she's now director of development as well for another production company. So we work together in tandem. Uh, she is phenomenal and a force to be reckoned with. And it's, it's funny because like, nobody knows and they don't realize when they meet her that she's only 19 as well, because age is just merely a number. Um, in fact, she acts like she's my age and I act like I'm her age. Uh, she is wonderful to work with. I mean, she's about to be in the, one of these films that I'm exec producing, which actually is an actress, you know, she had to audition legitimately and she wasn't gonna, she's up against, there were two of them at the end of it and she got the role. But it's fun because we've really experienced lots together and we, we know each other so well, we're best friends. So there's this kind of unspoken dialogue between us. Um, and I, I'm so pleased that she has found a way in this industry that's not just acting as well. She understands all the elements. She's first AD for me. Uh, she's tried everything. You know, it's, uh, it's very special and very unique to be with her. Glad to hear it. That sounds like it's a really, you know, a really great uh, connection. I, I hope it continues for <laughs> as long as... We do. <laughs> she, says to me, when she says to me in the morning, oh, mummy, do you want to drive me to work? I go, yes, yes, I do. Because I think, how long will this last? <laughs> when you delivered your session back in August, you mentioned that you had recently just injured yourself and uh, you were sort of re- recovering from that. Four months on, how has, how's the recovery process and how has that impacted your life since? It's totally altered my life because I realized that I had to consider myself physically a lot more than I did. Um, I am 99.9% better. And it's only the odd time, like I fell over a couple of days ago, I was wearing these ridiculous heels and I thought, oh my God, oh my God, please don't have damage my back. And I waited until the next morning and I hadn't. But I, I find things like I can't 
I used to think I can drive for 12 hours and not even worry and need a break. Actually, now on my road trips, I need to stop, take a break, think about myself. Um, I have had to actually sleep in a bed as opposed to sofas and floors and whatever else and wherever I fall asleep. So I've had to change my personal way of being, which is fine, you know, it was necessary anyway. And I feel very blessed and I remind myself every day what that pain felt like and remember what that was like. And then each day I am beyond grateful of, I'm sitting in a chair, I can cross my legs, I can walk, I can get in my VW bus and drive it without pain. And, and I remember it every day, it's still very fresh in my mind. Does that also impact uh, you on set? Do you find that you're sort of, you're, you're thinking, oh, we should take another break or we should just take a moment to chill? <laughs> No, not really, because when I'm on set, I'm standing all the time. And standing yeah. and walking have always been the best thing for me. So actually, right. when I'm on set, it's great. But I mean, I have to, you know, do all the breaks for everybody else anyway. And I'm like, come on, yeah. people. So actually, I still don't want to sit down very much because it doesn't, it doesn't feel very good. Right, right. But your, your background isn't necessarily in film. You, you did drama and English at university. Um, so what, what, ins what first inspired that shift to go down into the film industry and uh, what was, if there was one instance where you're like, ah, this is my calling? Well, do you know what it was? It was theatre. It was always theatre. I've, I've done theatre. That was the thing. And I think also being where we were from Derbyshire, there wasn't the kind of the industry there. I mean, I remember asking to study drama and it was like, drama? What's drama? You know, that was the first strange thing. Uh, and then you it was just a British thing much more about theatre and 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 getting into theatre and so it was only when I had my daughter that there was a friend who had an agent and they said oh you know you should see if Isabella wants to do that and uh, she got her first job but even when she was doing her first few years and no stage did I think that's what I was going to go into I was just the, the mother supporting her and making sure she was okay and then I was on set once with her in a film called Let Me Survive. And the director asked me, they'd seen me coaching Isabella and helping her. He said, would you mind helping with the other actors? You know, that would be great. And I really enjoyed it. And again, I didn't think that this is film in my head. I'm thinking this is just what you do as a theater director. It just happens to be in front of a camera. And then it was when we were over in LA and I thought I could do something for Isabella. She's the actress, she's got that skill. We could write something and do a little short on the iPhone together. And I really enjoyed it. I then took that to the next stage and I got someone else to DP and direct it. Um, and then it was a director I met at a film festival. And um, he said, I should be a director. And I said, how do I do that? He said, you just say you are. And that was how I thought, okay, well I will. And I raised some money and then thus starts my career five years ago. Yeah. Um, so the first film that you made, what was the what was the story of that? What what the, the one that you fully directed and did everything for? Any particularly memorable moments? <laughs> All of it. Um, the 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 first thing was that I knew I needed to raise some money because you can't make a movie without money. And so I remembered a lady that had a location for a film that my daughter had been in a couple of years previously. So I contacted her and I said, listen, I want to do a little bit of a film with Isabella. We can come and shoot it at yours. Are you interested in funding it? Thinking it like 5K, 10K or whatever. Well, it ended up being just under, you know, about 200,000. 
because she had a story she wanted to tell. So I flew out there, I got that story, I wrote the script, I'd never written a script before properly, and um, had some support and help in that. And Isabella was the lead in it, and I got a crew together of people that had been part of Isabella's past projects. And I, you know, I knew enough to know what I wanted it to look like. Um, we shot the movie in 10 days, very interesting experience. I mean, so much to go into that I, I can't even explain, but it was the first time working with Isabella. It's a very difficult subject, you know, and I, I kept saying to her, are you comfortable doing this? Is this okay? You know, and she was only, I don't know what, she would have been 14. Um, and then putting it together was a, its own interesting experience because as a director with vision, but I didn't understand the practical elements of things like actually your shot that's 11 minutes long, you kind of need some things to go to. And I'm like, oh, okay, so we don't just sit and watch something for 11 minutes. All right, I get that now. So I learned an awful lot, but I'm very, very happy with it, the end product. The, the only issue is the lady that was the uh, financier, the exec producer, actually hasn't completed it. So my very first feature wasn't able to be finished. But what was happening during it, during post-production, the person that had suggested I became a director said to me, you need to do your next one. I was like, what, I gotta do this all again? He said, yeah, find a way of doing your next one. And I'm glad he did, because I can tell you, I, I have no people and still could be that person five years later trying to finish my very first feature. Whereas actually you do need to move on to your next one. And it wasn't that I then forgot about that one, but I was able to do that whilst the exec producer worked out what she wanted. Did she want to change things in post? You know, and, and people become very precious about their one project. And the problem is, unless you're making something for $50 million, you, you don't shouldn't, I believe, spend more than six months on it, you know, unless it doesn't matter that people aren't getting paid or that people have got other things to do. So I'd gone on to that one, waited for that one to finish post, finished my second one, and the post still wasn't happening in that very first one. So I made my third, my fourth, my fifth, and I just kept on going. Did you take any of these films to film festivals around the world? Yeah, a lot of them have gone to film festivals, but also I kind of wasn't making them for film festivals. I was making them to just put them out there and watch them. And I think film festivals are great, that they serve a purpose for certain things. Um, but, you know, if you get distribution, you kind of just go straight to distribution. On that line, what's the most overrated part of, say, Cannes Film Festival in your <laughs> books? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's bigger than that. I think it's all about when you realise that these film festivals are just all about who you know. Now, yeah. it's very much behind the scenes. It's political. It's... Uh, do you tick the boxes? Yes, you have to have something that's good. There's, there's no question of that. Uh, is it relevant? Is it something that would suit our, our roster that we've got on at this year's festival? You know, what are they trying to prove with their material? Um, I, don't get me wrong, I like the festivals, but I'm also not stupid. If, if, if I'm not known or I've not got somebody else that works at the festival you're less likely to be seen and then if you've not got the subject matter that they're looking at then you're less likely to be seen so I think it's just to understand don't take anything personally yeah they I, I was certainly especially on the road carpet treated like an absolute nobody at Cannes this last summer they just shuffled me along to the side and went just don't get in the way oh yes very much so I mean there's definitely that hierarchy as well and actually, I really enjoy never telling anybody what I'm doing or who I am or what I do, because then you yeah. really see how people treat you. Yes. 
getting towards the close here, what are some creative outlets that you have in your life that are outside of your film work? Uh, sitting on my boat every morning. I'm normally, I live on a boat, but I'm actually at a friend's house at the moment. Uh, but I uh, live on a boat, so I see the ducks, I talk to the ducks, talk to nature, go for walks along the strand. That's very important because that's my time. In fact, so important that people think I'm not doing anything. My head is like this constantly and it's I'm talking to myself and I'm coming up with ideas. So when people say to me, oh, I'll come for a walk with you, I'm like, no, no, thank you. I'm, you don't need to join all the 50 people in my head. I'm, I'm all good. So that's a very important creative outlet. My writing, I write pen to paper every morning, three, four, five pages, whatever it is that I comes out of my head. Um, reading, listening to music, but sometimes I prefer the silence. Um, but sometimes there's a great song that inspires me. And um, just, just being at the moment, just taking that time out and being, you know, I used to, pre-COVID, I'd fill my time and my schedule ridiculously. And I don't do that anymore. In fact, today is my busiest day in a long while. I had a nine o'clock appointment and a 10 and an 11 o'clock, both on Zoom though. So it, it, I normally don't do Zoom at all. I, I've hated it. I'm not a Zoom person. I don't, I don't need, someone says, can you do Zoom? I'm like, just call me on the phone. I'll speak to you. I don't see you. Don't just see me. Um, so that was that. And then I've had a lunch and then I've got you and then I have got something else after this. And I would never do that now. But in the past, I probably would have had double that. Right. So uh, my creativity has time to breathe now. And your entire talk in August was all about simplicity and having exactly. a, a more relaxed lifestyle. Very and much your... so implementing that as I can see in your you do you have to and that's why I, I'm not joking when I, I run my session with myself every day I have to stop and go Elizabeth stop what would you be doing just breathe or write this down now or don't worry about that uh, very much uh, and it's a fantastic methodology I've created that that works for me I'm, I'm proof in the pudding I'm so glad to hear it well it's been amazing to have you Elizabeth on the Creativity Conference podcast and I cannot wait to have you in Iceland in August 2022. Hopefully we'll see some of you listening slash watching there as well attending. It's going to be an incredible time. It is. Thanks for having me. Really loved it.